Hello, and welcome to the Research Ops Podcast, an initiative of the Research Ops community. I'm Holly Cole, one of the chairs of the Research Ops community, and I'll be your host today for the very first time. As always, I'm assuming if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about Research Ops, the mechanisms and processes that set user research in motion. If you'd like to know more about Research Ops, you can find us at our website, researchops.community, on our Medium publications in English, French, German, and Portuguese. You can follow us at, at Team Reops on Twitter, find the group on LinkedIn, and join in the conversation at hashtag ResearchOps. We're recording a special series of the Research Ops podcasts in preparation for the Reops Comp a partnership between learners and the research ops community. The conference is in New York City on Wednesday, June 8th. Today, we'll be speaking with Tulua Oudia from Momentive, the maker of SurveyMonkey, who will be speaking at ReOpsComp about the metrics she's using to not only uncover what her program needs to build next, but how well what they've built is meeting the needs of the teams now. I absolutely cannot wait for this one. Metrics on research ops is woefully under-discussed, and it's critical for the profession to advance to know just how to do this. I'm excited to get to chat with Tulua now to learn a little bit more about her backstory and how she came to approach her re-op strategy this way. First, let me introduce you. Tulua is a product research manager at Momentive, where she is responsible for spearheading the company's research enablement initiative while conducting research on the SurveyMonkey product. Previously, she led research on smart thermostats at Ecobee, giving her a breadth of experience conducting research across hardware, firmware, and even machine learning models. Tulua loves geeking out over people and processes and is looking forward to sharing her learnings with the community. So hello, Tulua. It's good to talk to you today. Hello, Holly. Also really excited to talk to you today. Well, what we wanted to do with these was to learn a little bit about um, the speakers and how you ended up in research ops, um, how you ended up doing this. So tell me a little bit about your backstory, how you ended up um, getting interested, wanting to become involved in the conference. Yeah, um, I mean, how far back can I go? I think um, I have been a researcher for um, a couple of years now. So the question of research ops has always been there because I think as a researcher, you're always doing ops in some way. Um, but in terms of getting really involved in research ops, I would say about last year, um, our team at Momentive was really focused on how we could better enable research for our partners. Um, and so we do have a research ops function um, that supports all of the people who do research in the organization. So that includes the research team and the designers, PMs, whoever else might be running um, research activities. But it's right now because we're still, still a fairly small team um, with limited resources, it's really just focused around um, the logistics of research. But we knew that there were a couple of people who were doing research who could be better um, enabled in terms of supporting them with the research activities, whether that it was creating a plan or recruiting or even just finding previous research. And so we came up with this um, initiative that we call research enablement. 
And the goal was to basically democratize how we democratize research in the organization. So we have um, different members of the team sort of thinking about how do we better enable research. Now, personally, I have always been interested in teaching and processes and things like that. So from the second, um, my wonderful manager, Sarah, was like, we should think about research enablement and how we can democratize it in the organization. I was like, that sounds really interesting to me. Like, <laughs> I want to live that. Um, and so I started thinking about what, what what's the process going to be like? What's the system? I think I am really passionate about like systems thinking and how do we think in systems so it's like okay we need to create a whole like program and what's that program going to look like and how do we structure it so that we make it the most effective use of our time and delivering the right impact that we want to have to um, our partners and so that was the thinking um, that kind of led to me facilitating or sort of running the program um, and I will go into that a little bit more when I talk about what my talk is about but basically that thinking of how do we set up a program was what led me to think of what do we want to achieve and how do we know we're achieving that right and so the first thing because again I still am a researcher the first thing was thinking about like what is the need we're trying to solve and how do we get feedback from people and how do we make sure we're always getting feedback from people to make sure that whatever it is that we decide to do is still in line with people's, um, I guess, what people find valuable or what sort of impact we're hoping to have on the teams that we serve. Um, so when I heard about the conference, I don't, I guess, traditionally really think about myself as a research ops person, even though we do think of research enablement as a subset or kind of a function to research ops, but I thought it may be interesting to kind of share coming from such for more of like a researcher background, like how I have approached this program um, in the organization and how I think maybe it could be helpful to other people, but also really to hear what other people are doing. Like I think, um, and this might maybe go into the next question, I might be jumping the gun here, um, but I think that a lot of times when I've looked up articles and stuff in research ops, I think very often it's very focused on a specific thing, like how to improve equipment or how to improve research ops or how to um, research, repositories or how to build research repositories and I haven't seen as much in terms of like how do we um like measure impact and how do we like scale and all of those things um and so for me I also kind of want to continue or contribute to that conversation and hopefully get more people talking about what they are doing to measure impact because uh, I know it's always been an age-old sort of problem um, coming as being a researcher as well, the question is always like, how do we know we're delivering impact and how do we measure that, knowing that we're sort of a, a soft skill that organizations need, but find hard to sort of um, quantify. Well, I, was, I was actually going to ask, you know, how have you, <laughs> does this come from seeing this honestly play out in other ways? Does this come from experience, um, measuring other things? What would you say about that? Yes, for sure. I think maybe not that coincidentally, um, at the time that I was thinking about the research enablement program, I was also running a benchmarking um, research project at Momentive. And so probably my brain was just like, oh, you're doing benchmarking here. Why don't you benchmark that as well? <laughs> um, so I, I, there was definitely that bias of um, 
how do we, I think my brain was already in the brain, my head was already in the brain space of like, how do we track metrics over time? How do we make sure that anything we're doing is actually going to result in an improved experience for people, right? For the product that we have, for the Sophie Monkey product. And so I think tendentially I was like, well, we're also sort of trying to develop this program or this service. How do we also measure and make sure that whatever it is that we're doing, especially now that we're still at the beginning stages, right? I think it's important. A lot of times I think sometimes time has passed and you're like, oh, but how do we even know that what we're doing is like delivering um, on value or providing value? And so I thought, well, since I'm thinking about that for, for a product that's already well-established and we're sort of thinking about like, how do we measure those metrics in a holistic perspective? It would be a good time thinking about the research and enablement program and how we're still sort of new to implement a framework or a structure that could be scalable over time. So like we don't really have any missed data, right? If we start from the beginning thinking about what the long-term impacts we hope to have is and how we hope to measure it from the very, I guess from the very beginning, then hopefully that would set up set us up in the right direction, um, sort of moving forward as we establish the program. What might be some of the things that people might easily be able to take away and implement? I mean, obviously, we don't want to give away all the secrets, but what are some of the things you want people to be able to walk away with? What are, yeah. what are the reasons you want people to come and want them to be able to walk <laughs> away with, right? Yes, for sure. Um, I, I would love people to walk away with sort of an understanding of what the benefits are. Um, I think benchmarking as a tool has been used across multiple industries. And again, like in user research, it's a tool that's commonly used to track, um, you know, metrics over time and to make sure things are being um, measured in a meaningful way. And so I want people to understand sort of the benefits of applying that to a context like research operations, where even though it's not a product, it's still a service um, and a service that, could be measured on the impact of its delivery. And so I want people to, I want to demonstrate what the benefit of that as a tool is, but also more specifically how to do it. I think um, it's easy to say, yes, you should get started. You should do this. Like, this is what you need to do to, to get, um, uh, to measure your impact, right? But I think more tactically, um, I would love to be able to share the more specifics as to how we have built um, that program out, what we have learned along the way, and in the hopes that other people could leverage that um, same sort of learning into establishing their own program or like even running with it and being creative with it. I think for me also thinking about it, I, like you mentioned earlier, like I think because I was in the brain space of benchmarking, I was able to tangentially apply the same framework. So I would also love if it sparks people's ideas in terms of creative ways to measure impact, drawing on from other experiences or other um, tools or processes that they may have used in other contexts as well. Mm -hmm. Well, so tell me about how you got into research on the whole, like, how did you end up doing this in the first place? Oh, wow. Um, life story. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I think one of my, maybe in my bio somewhere, I say that like when I was a child, my favorite question was why? And <laughs> it was much to the chagrin of my parents. They were like, 
please stop. Like I cannot handle another question from you. So I think when I became a researcher, my dad was like, yeah, this, this sounds about right. Like you are the type of person that would be a researcher. But I think personally for me, um, I got into research after, I honestly did not know about research until like what, maybe seven years ago while I was in my undergrad at Waterloo. Um, and so we, my program was global, global business and digital arts. And at that point, I think everyone was still trying to figure out what um, UX is and what the role of UX is in technology. Um, I think it was becoming a little bit more mainstream and they wanted to get people more um, prepared for that world. And so in my experience at my undergrad, that was my first exposure to design research or to UX research. Um, so learning about IDEO and IDEO's toolkits and all of those sort of companies that were thinking about how to um, think about insights and how those inform strategy, I think was really exciting for me. Um, I personally think that research or research or insights, I guess, as a whole is really important when we think about products or services, because I think ultimately people should have a say in the types of products or tools that they use um, to be able to create or like experience or have experiences, I think, that are um, I wouldn't say good, but I don't know how to break good down into like all the ways things could be good, but that's what I think about when I think about research. So coming out of school, I knew I wanted to become a researcher and I was really lucky that my first um, job out of school was as a user researcher. So ever since then, I think the more time I spent in research, the more I'm like, yes, this is definitely what I would like to do. Um just to get just to be able to spend my time mostly talking to people, learning about people's experiences, but more being able to apply that into creating products or tools or services that would help make their lives better. Um, I think for me is I maybe clichedly or maybe like I don't know it's like where I would think about like my purpose um trying to make sure that people's voices are heard and trying to be sort of an advocate for people in the product development process how did you how did you end up in the research ops community considering you've primarily been a researcher and a research manager yeah, I think it was interesting because I, I saw the question and I was like, I, would I say I'm in the community? Like, I think I have used a lot of the community's resources. So maybe this is my way of like actually becoming a part of the community, uh -huh. right? not just taking and also sort of trying to give back. Um, but I think I became aware of it around the time we started the Research Enablement Initiative. My focus was around research operation, um, not research operations, research repositories. Mm -hmm. um, so I was looking up resources for research repositories, and then I saw a talk that the Reops community had done. Um, I can't remember if that was last year or the year before, and I saw the research that had gone into trying to come up with the research repo and I was like this is so interesting I need to sign up for the slack but like I haven't been as involved as I think it could be and so I really thinking about this conference as like my way to actually get plugged in a community where people are actively thinking about the same sort of problems that I am um so really Again, this is my this is about to be my introduction to the community. I'm so much looking forward to meeting other people who are part of it and getting connected with everyone. Well, on that note, um, so you've used a, quite a bit of the resources. That is 
the for those of us who are in leadership and actively involved in that, that is the purpose of the community is providing resources for people. It's not trying to get people to come in and do stuff for us. Um, tell me about some of the resources that you have used. Selfishly, we would love to know what you found of use. Yeah, so I mentioned the research repository, but also the, the I guess the pillars of re-ops that the community has come up with. I also found was super helpful when we're thinking about research enablement. I think I alluded to it earlier about how we think about research enablement, sort of a subset of research ops. And so the way that we were able to sort of create that distinction or create a meaningful distinction between the two, knowing that it's a subset, was actually by identifying what pillars our partners we're most actively engaged in. So looking at all the pillars of, of the re-ops, I know one of it is like um, the more te technical side, with, which is like NDAs and documents and those sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, but those are things that our research partners aren't as engaged in because it's generally the researchers who are sending those out or the research ops person who sent that out and like working with participants. But things like knowledge management, we know that our partners are contributing to that body of research knowledge that we have and are also trying to find it. Um, recruitment is still something that they participate in and being able to have guides and templates um, is something that they had requested and something that we we're trying to provide. And so being able to look at that those pillars was really instrumental for us to be able to determine okay this is sort of the scope of research enablement because we're not trying to take over the research ops function we know that still has room to go um but it helps us sort of define the scope of our work when we're thinking about what we want our program to look like so that was also super helpful thank you <laughs> well you will get to meet the person who wrote all that <laughs> looking um, forward to it I <laughs> <laughs> she, she's looking forward to meeting you. Um, what would you say, like thinking about that and thinking about the fact that you have a research operations program and you have a research enablement program distinct from each other, what are the challenges of, of, of research ops embedded in the organization, especially having two separate things? I know this happens surprisingly often in larger organizations. What might be a unique challenge that you're running into there? Um, I think definitely, I, I know I said like the pillars are really helpful in creating those distinctions. I think we still run into um, where, to what extent, and I think this is a conversation we've had in the community for a while in terms of like democratizing research and how that actually looks like, because in terms of research enablement, we really are focused on democratizing research by enabling our research partners, right? And so that is a subset of research ops, but the researchers as well still need like research ops. So there is almost research enablement to think about it as sort of a subset. Um, the challenge for us as, I guess, um, in our context or in our organization, I honestly, I'm not sure if it's particularly unique per se, because I know that the age old, again, like challenges we've had in research is limited resources and, you know, demonstrating our impacts and things like that. And so I think for us, the reason that the research and program even exists is because we 
don't currently have enough resources to dedicate to research ops, right? And so that's why we are sort of democratizing that work across the researchers. Um, and so I think it makes it challenging to sort of balance out our work as researchers with the research enablement program, knowing that the one research ops person we have cannot do all the things, but we're also still trying to support that work. Um, and so I think the, the challenge for us definitely has to be the resourcing, but I think that's where we have tried to be creative with the research enablement program and sort of making that more like instead of just having that centered in one person, the one research ops person that we have right now, um, we're trying to make it more shared <laughs> amongst the team um, so that we can still get to accomplish some of the things we would like to do from an enablement perspective without it being too much of a, um, would I say too much of a burden on one person, but just recognizing the fact that like, we don't have that many people yet. <laughs> Ideally, the more impacts we have, the more case we can, the more of a case we can make for more people on research ops. And maybe eventually, I could see it being completely, um, as the word, subhumed on the research ops. Um, but I think for right now, it because of that challenge, it presented us with the unique, um, I guess, creative <laughs> opportunity to sort of democratize even the work of democratizing research. There's a and a lot of talk about the silent work of, of ops and being unable to um, quantify the impact of it until it's gone. Um, and that being one of the bigger problems I've seen in, in research ops as a profession, um, that is part of why we, we were thrilled to see your submission, because if you can't demonstrate your impact, you will have your budget cut. So you, you were doing great work. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a hero's journey out there, making the silent work of ops visible um, and its impact visible. Uh, anything else you'd like to add about your talk or you or where you're <laughs> hoping to go next? Conference um, talks all around the world? <laughs> well, I hope so. I haven't spoken at a conference before, so I'm really looking forward to the experience. I think I definitely expect to be a little nervous, but hopefully there's more than one friendly face in the crowd. Um, but before, I just I kind of wanted to touch on what you said about impact, because I know that like impact is really hard to measure when you're doing, like you mentioned, like silent mm -hmm. work, like re-ops, and we, we've seen that as researchers as well. Um, and I think one thing that I want to say is like, although we are thinking about impact from a quantifiable sort of um, perspective, I think it's also worth um, thinking about the other ways that we, the ways we think about impact, right? Because I've also had um, the experience of a PM who came up to me and was like, I really want to like run my own research. I added it to my professional development goal because I saw how you enabled this other person to do research and they got like such a great like um compliments and stuff and that so I feel like it would be great for my own professional development and I thought that was so sweet because I was like would I have ever thought about that as impact no mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so I think that like thinking about creative ways to measure impacts could go beyond just the quantifiable ways to measure impacts so I'd also love to see ways that we can think about impact that is soft <laughs> um, and how and how we sort of measure that or how we sort of think about that as well when we think about impact. I've always thought about research objectives in 
other product roles as as a um, serious measurable impact on an organization people wanting to have that in the objectives of their department um, that's that's serious impact right there so mad props <laughs> <laughs> thank you and that's the end of today's podcast and don't forget you can find tickets to the ReopsConf 2022 at reopsconf2022.joinlearners.com. It's on Wednesday, June 8th, in person in New York City or online. You can see Bridget, myself, most of the ReOps board, our speakers, and of course, others in the community at the conference. We're so looking forward to seeing you all there. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to hear more, please subscribe or join us in the Research Ops community. If there's someone you'd like us to talk to, please let us know at team at researchops.community. We hope you'll join us next time at the Research Ops podcast. I'm Holly Cole, and I'll see you soon on the Slack.